You're listening to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, episode 120. Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife and conservation issues from all across the globe. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky. Today on the podcast, we are discussing a particularly interesting viral media story that I'm guessing a bunch of folks out there in the audience may have come across recently. Researchers Evan Beakley and Ethan Frainer recently published a scientific paper about an interesting and previously undocumented behavior of a very common species here in the North American West, the American badger. Evan and Ethan captured time-lapse footage showing a badger bury an entire cow carcass. Now, not only did they publish a scientific paper about their discovery of this behavior of badgers, but they also released a clip of the time-lapse video footage showing this badger bury the carcass over the course of several days. The video and the entire story went viral. The original video clip, uploaded to the University of Utah's YouTube channel, now has well over 1 million views, and the story has been covered by the New York Times, National Geographic, NPR, Science Magazine, USA Today, and countless other mainstream news outlets. So Evan and Ethan have been busy giving interviews and talking about a species that they didn't even intend to be the subject of their research. Luckily for us, Evan is a close friend of mine. We worked together as California condor field biologists 10 years ago, and Evan actually joined us for an early episode of the Eyes on Conservation podcast, episode 16, about his research on Egyptian vultures in Ethiopia. So I was able to convince Evan to join us again for today's episode, but I also wanted to take this opportunity to talk about the reasons why this story went viral. As scientists and science communicators, we're constantly striving to reach people beyond our inner circle with important research and information about science and conservation, and this story presents a unique example that we can learn from. To aid in this learning process, I also invited Dr. Brad Oakty, who studies the psychology behind viral media at Ohio State University. Let's jump in. Uh, I'm Brad Oakty. I'm a social psychologist, um, assistant professor at the University of the Ohio State University, um, and I'm a media psychologist specifically, and I study how people um, begin, maintain, and end relationships through online media. My name is Evan Beakley. I'm a, a PhD candidate at the University of Utah, and um, I study scavengers mainly, and particularly vultures. Yeah, I'm Ethan Frainer. I'm an undergrad who's working in the biodiversity and conservation ecology lab. I've been in here for about two years, and I've been working pretty closely with Evan that entire time. We're here to sort of talk about this one specific research project that evolved into um, this like viral media, I, I guess, campaign. I, you know, I'm not sure what to call it. Um, uh, but, you know, to, to start things off, my first question for, for the two of you, Evan and Ethan, is uh, maybe you can just introduce us to this, this research project that, that the two of you undertook. Um, you know, how did this project come about? What were your initial goals and, and what did you expect to find? We initially set out to just kind of study the broad uh, ecology of scavengers in the Great Basin Desert. Um, scavenging is, is really 
a fairly understudied part of ecosystem ecology. And so we really wanted to just learn more about what animals would come and eat other dead animals and, and how it would take, how long it would take for an animal to decompose and, um, and just the, the whole process. So I initially uh, got permission from the Bureau of Land Management and from the University of Utah here, and we got some stillborn calves from a, a local Utah dairy and took them out into the, the West the West Desert, the Great Basin Desert, um, west of Salt Lake City, and, and put them out on, on Bureau Land Management land. And then we, we set up some camera traps to monitor any activity. And the camera traps are motion activated. So if an animal would come and, and feed on the carcass or just pass by, it would take a picture of them. And then we could see whatever played out. And I didn't have a, a real great sense of exactly what would happen. You know, we, we thought some about that there might be turkey vultures and ravens and some other species. But it was really just to kind of go out and, and see what might happen. And Ethan, you know, what was it like for you to get involved in, in a project like this uh, as, as an undergrad? Initially, I just kind of was interested in the work that the lab was doing with Sean specifically and was connected to Evan through that way. And initially, I was kind of just doing data management, photo sorting sort of stuff, general labor, I guess, for the project. Even that on its own was a great experience. And as time went by, uh, Evan kind of gave me more responsibility with the project. That's been a great learning experience, certainly. I did a little bit of field work with the study, and but a lot of what I was doing was more on the data and the photo sorting and that sort of thing. Um, and then just with this occurrence with the badger, Evan kind of just gave it to me to work on after that. So, I mean, Evan, maybe we can just sort of jump into this and, and you can describe the scene that you saw when you first came to, you know, this one particular carcass site um, with the buried calf carcass. Um, I mean, what did you think when you first arrived at this particular site? Yeah, well, it was it was surprising. Um, so, so first of all, I'll just say that it, it, it was a lot of work to put these calf carcasses out in the desert, right? So they're located about a, a kilometer off of any existing roads. And I, you know, personally drug the carcasses like about a kilometer through the desert. And we, we put out actually seven of them throughout the desert. And so it, it, was, it was a lot of work. Uh, and then, you know, set up the cameras. And then I came back two weeks later to, to both, you know, download any photos from the cameras and change batteries and just to check up on the whole situation. Um, and one of the fir first carcasses I, I went to and walked out to, um, it was completely gone. And my, my first reaction was of disappointment because, you know, because there was a lot of work and I thought that we might not have, you know, that much data from this particular carcass. I initially thought that maybe it was drugged off by some coyotes or some some other large scavenger, um, and that wouldn't necessarily be that 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 exciting of a finding. Um, but after kind of looking, scouting around the area, I didn't notice any. I couldn't see any remains of the carcass, no evidence of it. Um, and then when I came back to download the photos, you know, I I did notice that the ground was quite disturbed at that site. Um, I didn't think it was buried because that, it just didn't really cross my mind that that was a possibility. Um, but I had my laptop 
out in the field with me. So I was able to uh, just download the photos right there on the spot and start flipping through the photos on my laptop. And I watched the whole thing play out from the badger first discovering the carcass. Uh, then he came back and started feeding a little bit on it. And then he started burying it. And then over the course of a few days, you, you know, just watch him completely bury and then, then cover the carcass. So it was really, yeah, surprising and then exciting. The, the next carcass in line, that carcass was also mostly about 90% buried. Um, and so that was also really exciting because it indicated that it wasn't just this one event, but that it was a more likely a more widespread behavior. At least it had occurred twice. And then when I came back to the university and I, I talked to Ethan about it and, and some other people in our lab, and I, and I had Ethan go ahead and like do background research on whether this was a documented behavior or not, and we really couldn't find anything in the scientific literature um, documenting anything quite like this. So then that was also really kind of exciting. I guess I'm sort of wondering, like, what work needed to happen before you could publish these results, right? I mean, you know, you, you sort of make this really interesting discovery and then learn that it, this is a pretty unique behavior. And so I, I, I assume you were immediately like, wow, this is an opportunity to like to, to publish this and, and get this knowledge out there. Um, you know, what what was that process like? You know, once we got back to the lab, I'm like, wow, this is a crazy and cool thing. Uh, the, the initial thought was just like, okay, well, has this, like, I'm not a badger expert or have become more, more, more of one recently, but like, I wasn't really going into this. So the first step was to just like learn a lot more about badgers than I had known before. Um, and so, so Ethan did really the, the brunt of all of that of just like, looking through um, a lot of badger literature, in, in, including a lot of really kind of old natural history stuff from the early 19th century to see if this was something that had been do documented before. Um, and that was really the first step. And, and once we found that, you know, it's known that badgers, you know, bury, bury stuff and that they're really good diggers, but nothing on the scale of being able to, to bury a, an animal uh, larger than itself, so then we're like, okay, well, this is definitely worth publishing. And so then, you know, Ethan was doing really a fantastic job of doing research. So, so he he went ahead and and led the led the paper on that. And I I can let him talk a little bit more about that that process. Yeah. So going in initially, like Evan said, I was just doing kind of background research, right? Uh, looking at uh, previous studies and natural history notes, and it was really interesting to find that this really isn't a behavior that had been documented on this scale, at least, really at all. So when Evan talked to me first about trying to write this paper, I was really excited to do it because this is really an interesting behavior. Sitting down and writing something for publication is something that I really don't know how else I would have gotten that experience, if not for Evan and the lab. It's very different from anything else you would get just in like everyday undergraduate education. So that's been tremendously valuable to me. So, Brad, I, I kind of want to get your input on this at, at this stage. You know, hearing, uh, you know, what Evan and, and Ethan have, have said about sort of the discovery and, you know, learning that this was a unique behavior that they had discovered and, and documented coming from the backgrounds that, that you come from. I mean, would you have seen the potential for a story like this to to go viral? 
Okay, so um, a couple of things. So one of the things, the original work on sort of like sharing behavior and the sort of behavior that leads to the viralness of content um, looked at um, memes, so urban legends. Um, and basically, one of the first studies by Chip Heath showed that uh, disgust was a predictor of the likelihood of sharing information. So they had people read a bunch of urban legends, and the ones that were the most disgusting were the ones that were the most likely to be shared. Um, and they had things like ingesting of inappropriate substances and things like that that were uh, eliciting disgust. Um, some work that followed from that, including some of my own, um, also was able to show that uh, positive emotion was also more likely to be shared. So not just disgusting content, but things that, that were happy or surprising. Um, and some of the most recent work uh, has come from Jonah Berger's lab. And basically, uh, he did a really awesome study that was published recently um, that basically just showed that it boils down to arousal. Um, and the study that he conducted, he basically had people come into the lab um, and they either rode an exercise bike um, for 60 minutes, or I think it was jogged in place actually for 60 minutes, um, or they didn't, they just sat still. And they were both given the same piece of information, the same content, and then they were asked, how likely are you to share this content? Um, and those who um, were mildly aroused from the sort of jogging in place for 60 seconds were significantly more likely to share that content. And again, it's the same content comparatively to those in the control condition um, that had just sat still. So basically, um, that study showed us um, very, very frankly that it's about arousal, the sort of low-level autonomic nervous system arousal that leads people to be motivated to share. Uh, information. Um, and if we think about this from an evolutionary standpoint, I mean, this, this is something that we might think of as being adaptive. Um, so you might imagine that sort of highly charged um, social content might be the most important to share. So if you're coming back to your tribe and, and uh, you notice that the other tribe is very angry, it might be something that's worth sharing to the people in your tribe so that you can be prepared for a potential battle or something along those lines. Um, and so what I would, what I would argue here is that um, most people who saw this this video of the badger bear and the cow um, likely were surprised and likely at all with what they had seen. I know I was when I watched uh, the video myself, um, and particularly for those of us who aren't biologists. Um, I mean, we at least for me, I was very surprised that this behavior even existed, and particularly with badgers. I mean, I don't think of badgers typically as as animals that bury things, and it just that's just my ignorance on on the biological side of their behavior. Um, but if, if people watch the video and experience it as I did, it's likely that they have a sense of awe and a sense of sort of surprise of what happened. And of course, those two emotions likely elicited a sort of low level of arousal and that arousal sort of motivated them to want to share this content. I love how you sort of like relate, you know, uh, the reaction that people have to this, you know, like break it down to like an evolutionary perspective of like why our brains sort of work that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from our from our perspective, like it's just really I mean, I began thinking when we started this work, like why why are people doing this? Like, what is the point of the sharing? And so part of what we want to get at is not just what people share, but why they share it as well. Totally. And so, you know, getting back to you guys, Evan and, and Ethan, you know, I, I'm curious to hear about sort of like your decision process to, to post the time lapse video of the Badger online. What kind of reaction did you guys expect? Did you expect anything on the level of how this ultimately played out uh, with all the millions and millions of views of this video and all the attention you got from sort of like mainstream media uh, uh, on this story? Well, definitely, we did not expect anything on on the level, you know, both coverage by by big news outlets and also just the, the level of sharing out. It, it came as a total surprise. I mean, I think, you know, when when I when I first saw the the kind of the time lapse of of the badger doing his feet, like 
I, I was pretty shocked and I was pretty excited about it and thought that that was pretty amazing. Um, and so, so I did think that, you know, it had a potential that some, some media outlets would, would pick it up and run a little video clip of it because it was, it was a cool thing, but yeah, that, that the level of coverage was really shocking and yeah, not anything I could have predicted. I don't think. So, so, so Tara Christensen is another undergraduate that I worked on this, this project with. And, um, she, she is the one actually that, that put together the video that really went viral and had tons and tons of views. And we really wanted to kind of time this so that we could do the science related to this behavior and really look into it and make sure that this was a unique, unique thing and that we could really describe it and publish the results in a, a peer-reviewed scientific journal. And then simultaneously, when, when that, that publication was out, that we could kind of we could re- release the video simultaneously because... You know, I, I did th- think that the, the video had a much better chance of getting coverage and excitement and, and interest than than the paper likely would, although they were they were both really, really important for the process. Pairing them so that the, whether it be the, the New York Times or Science Magazine could cite and link to a scientific publication, but then also have this quirky, cool video um, it kind of gave it a, a level of legitimacy, kind of scientific legitimacy, and also just like uh, flash appeal. So I, I think that kind of worked well, but yeah, certainly beyond any of my uh, expectations. So Brad, uh, you know, I, I wonder, like, if you're looking at this, I mean, would you have have predicted that this video and 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 this 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 paper, this this whole sort of story about what happened with the badger, like? Would you have predicted that that this would have gotten the level of attention that it did? You know, I mean, for, like from my perspective, when I first saw it, like it was fascinating to me, right? I mean, it's fascinating behavior. It's super interesting to see how this small animal is able to bury this much larger animal. Um, but like, I'm a biologist, right? So like, you know, I have that background, and like, it makes sense that I would find it interesting. But I guess it's surprising to me that like so many other people found this interesting. What would you have thought if someone had sort of come to you? with this video and this story before it was posted online, like, you know, what, what would you have predicted might've happened? <laughs> um, so um, I, I guess I would have predicted that it would likely get some attention that people would likely share it because of how surprising and all inducing the video is. But I think, um, but I think like you guys, I, I would never have predicted the level at which um, it is being covered. Um, and so I would say though, like, you know, prior to uh, to this um, this podcast episode, I mean, even before being contacted, um, I even my, mentioned this to my wife and said, "Hey, have you seen this video? Look how great this is! Look how awesome this is!" Um, even before being contacted, and so you know, my own reaction suggests that that if I am at all like anybody else um, who's a non biologist, that that even to non biologists, this was just an amazing thing to, to witness. And I think had the video um, not been present, clearly it wouldn't have had the impact that it did. But the fact that we can watch this small animal sort of bury this larger animal was was sort of um, very surprising. And so I would never have predicted that it would have gotten the coverage that it did, but I certainly would have said, okay, this has the potential for people to share it a lot because of how emotion evoking this, this video is. I kind of want to delve into how people engage with this content. Evan and, and Ethan, you know, you guys are, are studying scavengers. And, and I mean, you 
kind of have like a motive, right? I mean, Evan, you talk sort of about the strategy of like making sure that, you know, you sort of release this video at the same time that, that, that the paper was published so that there is this, this good information and there's like potential for people if they watch the video to gain a deeper understanding of what's really going on in the bi biology behind it. So hopefully it like inspires people to like dig a little deeper and learn more about scavengers um, and, and the importance of scavengers to their ecosystem. I, I mean, I guess I'm sort of wondering like, have you seen that happening? I mean, uh, and, and I mean, Brad, feel free to jump in on this as well, because, you know, I'm just super curious about like how people interact with this video specifically, but also just like viral content in general. The vast majority of people probably either just, you know, saw the, the first 15 seconds of the video or watched the whole video or, but that's as far as they got. And, and so that's, that, that would be my guess, right? Purely a guess. But we do also have evidence that, that a lot of people are digging deeper and, and, and are look at, looking into it and, and, and hopefully, you know, learn, learning a little bit more about scavengers. Um, and, and evidence I have of that is that things related to this Badger video, like our lab's Facebook page, got many, many more likes and followers, um, kind of the week following the, the Badger. Also, the, the link to the scientific publication in the last week, it had over 2,000 views and downloads um, off of ResearchGate, um, and it was the most, like the most viewed and downloaded uh, paper of the University of Utah. But it was also the most viewed and downloaded paper in all of ecology for for a week, um, and that's across the world for ecology. It was the most downloaded paper. So, yeah, I mean, a certain amount of people are definitely saw it, thought it was quirky, thought it was cool, um, and then actually went and sought out the, the scientific paper and, and also, you know, other things related to the work, like, like our lab's Facebook page or, or whatever. So I think it definitely did encourage some people to, to dig a little bit deeper. The, the question I have for you, Brad, is sort of like, what sort of comes after? Like, how, how is that information that, that you are collecting on viral media? How's that being used? So that's a tricky question. I think um, from my standpoint as a psychologist, I'm mainly interested in what drives human behavior. Um, and so in this case, I'm interested in what drives sharing behavior, human sharing behavior, and particularly what drives individuals to communicate with other people, and in this case, share content. Um, and as a media psychologist, I'm most interested in how that occurs online. And so we know a little bit about how people share this content face-to-face, -face, but once we bring it online, suddenly the sharing can happen instantly, and it can happen instantly to you know, many, many other people uh, simultaneously. And so that's sort of where my interest lies in terms of, of what we do with this information, what we have. And I think it informs our understanding of human psychology more generally. So, so why do people share information? Um, but it also does inform uh, our understanding of why certain things go viral and why certain things don't go viral. Um, I don't think that any psychologist is opposed to people taking that information and sort of using it or hijacking it to promote a cause, whether that cause is, is, is good or or not will, will be seen. But uh, but the idea simply is that we now understand at least a little bit why these things happen. And I think that um, that 
that Evan and, and uh, you guys did a really good job of sort of simultaneously having these things happen um, because I think it's it's utterly important that that there is a scientific publication behind this video and then like you said people seem to be grasping onto it um, I agree that the majority of folks probably just watched the video but even in that sense that sort of that raised the awareness of both badgers and sort of ecology and the study of biology even if even if people just saw the video um, so so I think it, it was really good um, but again as from my standpoint I'm just trying to answer the basic questions about human psychology so why people engage in social behaviors and what might motivate them to share information um, I'm sort of less concerned or know less about sort of what people do once we have sort of have that information to give them thinking about your past research, Brad, and you mm -hmm. know, sort of examples of, you know, viral videos or viral campaigns that you've sort of analyzed in your mm -hmm. research. Um, like, are yes. there examples of campaigns, you know, like this one where it, it, it's sort of two pronged, right? Like there is this story and this scientific publication that, you know, major like mainstream, you know, news outlets are covering like New York Times and Nat Geo, you know, brought a ton of attention to this story for Evan and Ethan. Uh, but at the same time, there's just sort of the, the organic sort of, you know, growth and, and sharing um, of the original video itself because it's so interesting. I guess I'm wondering, like, if you've looked at any campaigns like that, that are similar to that and how those different factors sort of interact. So I was recently interviewed by The New York Times um, several months ago um, on the virality of Donald Trump. And so basically it was the same sort of question. So why are his comments and his tweets becoming viral? Um, and the same sort of lens that I'm applying to this was applied to that as well, as, as those comments are, are arousing if you're a supporter and they're arousing if you're not a supporter. Um, and so that was one campaign. And some of the work that we did, um, we referenced the Barack Obama's campaign, sort of the Yes, We Can's campaign. Um, and he and that, uh, that campaign ran a viral video um, with a girl who was singing a song. And that video went viral and we believe impacted the election. Um, and then some of the other stuff that we've done um, deals with the extent to which uh, the sharing of, of viral information is impacted by political affiliation. So, you know, who shares more, Democrats or Republicans, and, and who are they sharing to? Um, and so some of that work suggests that Democrats are sharing less than Republicans, and Republicans are sharing more than Democrats. And when Republicans share, they're sharing um, to other Republicans, uh, sort of in an insular nature. Um, and so those those studies in particular, I think, sort of can be used to understand um, political sharing in that realm. Um, the earlier work that we did was simply to sort of understand um, what drives the sharing process. And this was sort of before we understood that simply arousal was the mechanism behind that. I'll just uh, interject real, real quick, if I may. Um, yeah. Just that, you know, I've I've spent a fair amount of time kind of like tracking the, the the fallout of this story, and and some of the different like social media sites have things somewhat like that built in. I'm not sure how accurate those things are. Um, I'm sure Brad would know know better, but I, I I've noticed a, a, a few kind of demographic things like like that the video has been, for example, watched by many more men than women. Um, but that I, I don't have a sense of like of politics directly from any metric, but that I think overall it has seemed like a very kind of trans political story in that we've gotten, I've gotten a lot of personal um, emails, both from people that you might categorize as like environmentalists um, as well as um, 
a lot of outdoor recreationists and hunters. And um, so it seems like it, it, it has had a kind of a reach across a lot of segments of society. Although I'm sure if, you know, you had someone kind of look into it more, you could, I'm sure there's, you know, subsets of people that were more and less, more and less in, interested in it. But, but I was kind of pleased by the, the general idea that it did reach a broad audience, right? That it wasn't um, just to a, small subset of society, which I think is something that as scientists, uh, we struggle a lot with, which is like reaching an audience that isn't just the same audience that that is already listening to you or following you or or whatever. So, so that was encouraging. Yeah, I I mean, and I agree. And I think that the the theory of sort of this low level arousal that sort of spurs social transmission. And if we sort of, again, if we speculate that this is sort of advantageous for us evolutionarily, then theoretically, we should suggest that everybody should have that same reaction, right? And so it shouldn't be something that cuts across um, various types or various subgroups of people, because if this was a mechanism for survival, then it's likely that all of us, when we are slightly aroused, should have that urge or motivation to share content. And that should be a Democrat or a Republican, a, a um, somebody who's involved in nature preserve, somebody who's a biologist, somebody like me who's a psychologist, right? This should this should affect everybody in that way because it was a sort of essential to our survival um, when our brains were being formed. And so it doesn't necessarily surprise me that this sort of cut across those groups. I'm really happy to hear that because like you, I, I often strive to say, okay, how can I get my work to more people that aren't just in the academic realm? Audiences, people who watched this first video, like, are they more prone to, like, you know, to now if they see a story that involves a badger, is that, like, more likely to sort of perk their interest because they have this, now this sort of base level knowledge and created sort of, like, a, a permanent interest in badgers and, like, they're they're more excited to, like, get that next bit of information? I guess I'm wondering if, like, any, any sort of research has been done, like, within that realm. No, that's a, that's a great question. And and so far, what I've seen is I haven't seen anybody who's looked at the after effects of these things. Um, but we can sort of draw on other psychological principles to say, okay, well, what happens when something becomes more salient, when something becomes at the top of your mind? I um, mean, we know that oftentimes it affects judgments and decision-making. It sort of uh, affects the way you view and interpret sensory processes and things like that. And so you might imagine that because of the video, people are much more likely to click on a link, to look up something, or to sort of pay more attention when they see something about badgers in the future. Um, and so I would certainly say that that's the case. Additionally, um, I think that a lot of the times people miss things with viral content. They think, oh, it's just about the sharing. Um, and it is about the sharing. But outside of sharing it through media, people are also having conversations. I mean, I, I'm, I wish we could track how many people had a conversation about badgers and, and their the burying behavior that they have. Um, I know that this is the first time in my household we've ever discussed badgers and how they bury their uh, their food. Um, I mean, and we did that. <laughs> I mean, and we, and my wife and I had this conversation, and I thought to myself, like, this is this is really weird. We've never talked about this topic before, but because we have, not only do I have this information about badgers, but I also have a memory with my wife, memory with a loved one, in which we had this conversation, and we have now a shared experience for which we can talk about. And so I think that even those types of experiences are much more likely to prompt things. And so I might go off in, in a few days and I might see another article and say, hey, remember that story we saw about that badger? Look what else happens with badgers. And so um, so although I don't have any research to sort of point to, I can only speculate on that topic. But given what we know about human psychology, sort of 
uh, outside of, of this, I would suggest that, that it's certainly the case that people are likely going to sort of be more likely to learn about badgers, be more open to that, um, and be more open maybe even just to sort of science communications in general. But but again, that's, that's pure speculation on my part. <laughs> I'll just maybe interject uh, again uh, somewhat anecdotally, but I, I think it's, it's been my impression that the, I'm not sure how much either of you or the audience may be aware of the, the honey badger craze of <laughs> of not the distant past and i think i think that actually that that kind of, that the honey badger really primed primed the pump for this this american badger story um in that like people had you know i just from looking through comments on the videos and stuff on, on different social media sites that a lot of people would would reference the honey badger and that you know that the, the badgers just don't care and that they're you know, particularly <laughs> feisty. And so, so, you know, it's very anecdotal, but like, it seems like that kind of, there was a connection to previous badger stories and that that made them maybe more likely to tie into this and be kind of excited to this. Cause it added to their existing kind of knowledge that the badgers were pretty, pretty impressive creatures. Yeah, that's a super neat point, right? Like, would the story have blown up if there wasn't this baseline, you know, sort of interest in badgers from a previous viral yeah. media campaign <laughs> tied to a different species of badger, you know? I honestly um, don't think it would have nearly as much, but who knows? Evan and, and Ethan, given that you guys have, have sort of, you know, uh, stepped this up, right, and, and given the American badger a platform, are you guys thinking about pursuing additional research questions related to badgers how has this story and um the reaction that that you've gotten from it you know how has this sort of altered or shifted the way you think about your research uh, uh in, in general and like you know where you might be going in the future with your research i'll i'll, I'll say something and then maybe ethan has some perspectives too because he's you know an undergraduate and maybe thinking about a, a career in science for me so I'm, I'm curious what his thoughts are on that. But I know that, like, I am certainly very keen to to follow up on on this discovery. I mean, I think what this paper and this video showed was a novel behavior that hadn't been previously documented um, in the in the scientific literature. And and it, I think that there's also like pretty strong indi- uh, implications for it that if badgers are able to bury uh, carcasses much larger than themselves. They could they could potentially be bearing just about any carrion that that they could encounter uh, in North America. They're very very widespread across much of the North American continent, um, and so if they're able to monopolize and sequester carrion resources across much of a uh, continent, and um, that could have really really fairly profound impa- uh, impacts on, on ecosystem ecology, potentially on uh, disease regulation, because if they're able to quickly remove carcasses from the environment within a couple days, rather than having them sit out in the sun and, and rot and fester with pestilent insects, that could be really important for, for disease regulation. Um, so I think this was a, a observation. It happened a couple of times, so we think that it might be more than just a, a freak behavior. And, and likely more more widespread. I'll say that like I've gotten several emails now, uh, particularly from hunters who have shared stories of of similar uh, like badger behavior from Canada, from Nebraska, from other parts of uh, of the range of badgers. Um, so 
I think it would be really exciting to to follow up on this a little bit more and try to to study. Well, first off, if it is a if it is quite a widespread behavior, that'd be interesting to know. And then to try to answer some of the questions about well, what are the implications of this? Um, and so, yeah, I'm I'm definitely a lot more interested and like fascinated by badgers now than I was, say, uh, a little over a year ago when we, when we first uh, uncovered these photos. Um, and maybe I'll, I'll pass it off to Ethan. Definitely. Uh, first going in to this project, I really didn't know all that much about badgers, right? Um, that really wasn't the focus of the study, and it wasn't really the focus of any of my previous education at all. Um, so just seeing this behavior is like, really interesting in and of itself. And I think that looking at other populations of American badgers in other parts of the country, or even just looking at the same population and seeing if this behavior translates to other individual badgers, to other populations, um, or if it's a repeated behavior, would be tremendously interesting in a lot of ways. And a lot of the like implications that Evan talked about could be important, right, ecologically in North America. And I, further, more than that, I think that just this case by itself is really, it, it goes to show kind of the importance of natural history research just in general, right? Because as Evan said, these American badgers are widely distributed in North America, uh, which is a well-studied place. And if badgers can have this large behavior that hasn't been documented in the past, then uh, it follows that other species, like smaller, like endemic species or uh, threatened species in less studied parts of the world could have uh, a wide range of behaviors that we've never seen. And the implications of those could be profound in a lot of ways, I think. Yeah. And I mean, I think that ties into like the, the, the sort of reason why this this story in this video went went viral in the first place right is it's like something people can relate to because it's a super common species lots of people have seen badgers or are aware of the fact that you know they live you know in close proximity to this very common species but here's this behavior um that you know may be a common behavior like obviously we don't know that yet it needs more research but like it's just something yeah something basic about the natural history of the species that we just didn't know um, and, you know, that, I feel like that relates back to, you know, Brad, what you were talking about, about sort of like the, the evolutionary sort of underpinnings of, you know, the psychology behind viral media, right? It's like, you know, if you went out and observed, right. you know, uh, if you imagine like in a hunter-gatherer society, someone goes out and observes, you know, this really interesting, unique behavior that they've never seen before for a, a common species, like, that's going to be the first thing that they're going to tell their group when they return to their camp. Right. I mean, it's, it's right. <laughs> there's like a direct right. connection between that. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Thanks to all of you. Thanks to Brad, Evan and, and Ethan. Thanks to all of you guys for joining us for this discussion. Um, it's, been super interesting, super interesting for me. I, I, it's, it's fun to sort of get these very different perspectives on this badger berries cow story um, and and sort of, you know, both like the biology behind it, but also like, you know, this the sort of psychology behind, you know, why this story went viral. So thanks a lot to all of you guys. No, you're yeah, very welcome. You. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks a bunch, uh, Matt, and, and also Brad for, for joining and, and sharing your, your insights. 
All right, that was our conversation with Evan Beakley, Ethan Frainer, and Brad Oakty. I never would have thought that we could do an episode of the show that includes both the biology of the American badger and the psychology behind viral media. But there you have it. If you want to learn more about Evan's research on scavengers or Brad's research on viral media, you can head on over to the show notes page, which you'll find at wildlensinc.org slash EOC120. We also have put together an updated version of the Badger Berries Cow video that provides a bit more of the backstory on how this discovery was made. You can find this video also on the show notes page for this episode or just Google Badger Berries Cow Redux. The Eyes on Conservation podcast is a production of Wild Lens. Today's episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky. Our theme music is by The Humidors.